0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the genealogy of Shem that follows the continuation of the seed of God's interests and our interests. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: Father, thank you so much for taking us, each one of us, as your sheep. Lord, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you for laying on him the iniquity of us all, that we might become the returned sheep to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxah. You'll forgive me for not saying these names correctly, but anyway, that person... Two years after the flood, and Shem lived after he begat Arphasad, five hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And Arphasad lived five and thirty years, and begat Salah. And Farfusad lived after he begat Salah four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived thirty years, and begat Eber. And Salah lived after he begat Eber four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and thirty years, and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg four hundred and thirty years, and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived thirty years, and begat Ru. And Pelag lived after he begat Ru' 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Liv lived two, two and thirty years and begat Sarag. Ru lived after he begat Sarag 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sarag lived thirty years and begat Nahor. And Sereg lived after he begat Nahor two hundred 200 years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived nine and twenty years and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat <laughs> sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Terah. Now, Haran. Haran. However you want to say it, it's fine with me. You can say it. Haran or Harain or however, that's all right. And these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, And Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the name of Haran, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them. From Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terror were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, now, in our last study, we saw, as you remember, course you remember, because you have perfect memories, but (laughs) we saw the disaster, and that's what it was. It was an absolute disaster of a society, and when we looked at that society, we saw that that was a society that exalted science. They exalted science without God. That was, they celebrated their scientific achievements. They had a great scientific achievement, It's noted there. They were able to make these first ever, time ever, ceramic bricks, that had tremendous tensile strength and a very flexible mortar that was able to flex, because that's a problem with ceramic bricks, as you all know because you're experts in ceramic bricks, (laughs) that if you put any kind of a stress like that, brick to brick, it'll shatter. Well, they solved that problem, too. And so, therefore, they could build this very uh, strong, tall tower So that was a society that was out to conquer their obstacles without God, prove they could do it, and in fact build this tower. It looks foolish to us, but they were building this tower with a commitment to go to where God was in the conquer space. Now, what follows now... It had that history. That was stopped by God. It resulted in confusion. Everybody was scattered. They couldn't communicate. It was the mercy of God that that happened. And what we have now, when we come to verse 10, is a continuation of the seed of God's interests. The seed of our interests, too. And that's the seed, as it says here, the seed of Shem. So, chapter 5 you remember, maybe, started with the first verse in chapter 5, where it described this genealogy as the generation of Adam. And it says that in Genesis 5.1, it said, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him. The generations of Adam began to be traced from Genesis 5.1. Adam is identified in that verse as the man that God created in the likeness of God. He was godly. And chapter five ended with the words, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So chapter five took us from Adam, who was made in the likeness of God, and that was the Adam that we saw Who? Yes, he sinned, but he repented of his sin and he accepted God's remedy, God's sacrifice, God's covering for his sin. That's why he's called in the likeness of God. And so from the line of Adam, what's happened here is we have studied as we've gone down and we've seen certain branches from this line of Adam that shot off into a very strange direction, the branch of Cain shot off into a very strange direction, and Cain was never in the likeness of God. Cain was not godlike, godly. And from the line of Adam, we just finished studying this history of the Babylites. And they're never called in the likeness of God. And so what's happening now is that God's finger is coming down again, and he's pointing and tracing for us, In the history of man, that line that is the spiritual genealogy of Adam who's described in Genesis 5-1 as the one that God created and the likeness of God made to him. Those branches veered off and they seared their conscience as they did. And those branches veered off into Cain, as we said in Genesis 4-6. He was described as the one who went out from the presence of the Lord. Those branches veered off and they filled their minds and their imaginations with ungodliness and evil. And in Genesis 6-5, as we studied, we saw that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So they veered away from God and as a result of that they brought in the flood that we studied about. And so now God started again with Noah to fill the earth. So all those branches that veered off from following God and they never stopped God's plan that he said he was going to do in Genesis 3.15, which was to bring the Messiah, who was called the seed of the woman, who would be the head crusher of the serpent, the devil. Now we come to to Genesis 11.10, and the genealogy of Adam is continuing now with these words, these are the generations of Shem, Shem was 100 years old, and so forth. And so as we continue to trace this genealogy from here, we'll see in the interpretation of of some of the names, the meanings of some of the names, the way that is being prepared or is being indicated to us of Abraham's great departure, which we'll come to in Genesis 12 in the next chapter. So we see, for example, in verse 12, this individual, Salah, Salah is mentioned there. The word Salah means mission. It means mission. So that name points to when Abraham will be sent out of Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan on a mission. We see in verse 14 the name Eber. Eber means a crossing over. That name points to when Abraham will cross over lands to come into the land of Canaan. The name of Eber is likely the origin of the name Hebrew. The name Hebrew is a mysterious name. It's not a very clear meaning at all. It's not easy to know what it actually means, but many believe that this is the origin of the word Hebrew. It's been given the name of dusty feet or travelers or one who crosses over, which is the meaning of this name, Ebert. We see in verse 16 the name Peleg. Peleg means division. Division. And so that name points to Abraham as the one who will make a division, as God called him to divide off from and leave his family. We see in verse 18 the name Ru. Ru means friendship. That name points to Abraham who would not only go away from his family and relatives, but would come into being a friend of God. The greatest title that God ever gave to Abraham was when God called Abraham his friend. And then we see in verse 21 the name Nahor. Nahor means a, like a panting, out of breath, or one who is in a conflict, or striving but not succeeding. And that name points to Abraham in Abraham's life when he would strive as he, as he will many times with man. He'll strive even with his own wife. That's not unusual. And through those strivings, Abraham would learn to trust God for his help. And so we see also in verse 24 the name Terah abraham's father and terah means tarrying or lagging behind that name points to abraham as a warning to not lag behind it reminds us of lot's wife that was the sin of lot's wife she didn't wholeheartedly follow after god she held back she lagged behind she turned back and then she became a pillar of salt now we see in verse 27 that terah has three sons uh, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, one, Nahor, two, and Haran, three. And Haran begat Lot. So we understand that Haran's son is Lot, or Lot is the son of Haran. Now, Abram, it's made up of two words, Ab or Av, and, uh, which means father, and Ram, which means high. So it literally means high father. And Abram will keep that name For many chapters, all the way till chapter 17, verse 5, when God will change his name. And then he'll change his name to Abraham or Avraham. And again, two words, Av, which is a father, and then another word, Raham, which is an unused root. It's not altogether clear at all what that means, but most accept that it means a multitude. So Abraham or Avraham probably means a father of a multitude. Now, Nahor here, who will be the grandfather of Rebekah, who's going to marry Abraham's son Isaac, and then there's Haran here, the father of Lot. So we see in verse 28 that tragedy strikes the home of Abraham's father, Terah, because one of his sons, Haran, dies. He dies, it's stated there, Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of Nativity and of the Chaldees. A father should never, ever, ever see his children die. Parents should not see their children die. And we can just imagine how upsetting this was. In fact, it's emphasized that we don't know what happened, but he died before his father. And if not actually literally dying in front of him, it hit him as it would anybody, like a train. And we see him leave uh, Ur. We see the father, Terah, leave Ur with his son, Abram. And so Abram now leaves Ur because he leaves Ur. And we're going to find here that God has called him to leave Ur. But we don't read anywhere that God called Terah to leave. And we don't know why Terah left, but Terah decided to leave. Maybe, maybe he was just broken over the death of his son Nahor and wanted to get out. We don't know. But, I mean, over the death of Heron. But Nahor... Uh, his, uh, his brother Abram goes along with Abram, and we know that we'll find here in a minute that Terah dies along the way. But in verse 28, we read that they are they're from this place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, is a Chaldean word means fire, and history tells us that the people of Ur worshipped fire. They worshipped fire. They worshipped stars. They worshipped light. They were animists. They were animists like we have many in Ethiopia. And we can ask the question of what was life like for Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees? What was life like, or what was Abraham like when he was in Ur of the Chaldees? So, fortunately, we have an answer to this question, if you'd like to turn to it, in Joshua chapter 24 verses 2 and 3, we uh, can get the answer to that question, what life was like for Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees. Because here, it's very important for Joshua, for God, to instruct the Jewish people about their forefather Abraham, and to tell them about him, as, as God did in several places in the Bible. But this particular place says that Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Dad, today you talked about how God called Abraham out from his homeland, out from his family, and out from his friends. How does that apply to our listeners today? Well, it very much has a great application for our listeners today because this verse is so important. This is the key verse that introduces for us Abraham in his calling out in Genesis 12, 1, where it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. It's the calling out. And when we look at Abraham, we need to understand as we look at him that he is the called out one from this verse. This is God speaking to Abraham for the first time. This is how Abraham will be known. This is how Abraham will be identified. This is how Abraham will identify himself as the called out one. He was called out from his homeland, out from his family, out from his friends. He was called out to God. Why this is so important is because this concept of being called out as Abraham was called out is captured in the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia means called out ones, the called out ones. It's exactly what the concept that we see behind Genesis 12.1. Abraham was called out. And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are called out ones. That's how we are identified. The word ecclesia does not mean church. Ecclesia is the Greek word that we find 108 times in the New Testament, and it has been translated in the New Testament as the word church. This is a shame. This is a shame that it's translated as the word church because it literally means called out ones. Every time you read in the New Testament the Scripture concerning Ecclesia, What happens is that we think of the church because that's how it's been translated. But literally, ecclesia means called out ones. So what it means is that we are like Abraham. We are the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. And this is the concept that the New Testament is giving to us. We are the called out ones. We have been called out from what has drawn us away from God. We've been called out. Out of that and drawn to God and come face to face with God. And that's what happened in Genesis 12, 1 with Abraham is that he was called out and we should think of ourselves as called out. Now I'm not against the church. I'm an elder in a church and the church is very important. However, the church has to be seen for its place. And the concept of ecclesia, it does not mean church. It means called out ones. So we, when we look at ourselves, we should not, think as we look at believers that we are the church, we should think of ourselves as the group of called out ones. And in that sense, if you like to think of church in the sense of kahalat, in other words, the Hebrew word for congregation, okay. But we need to understand the concept of the believers, the group of believers in the congregation or the assembly, or if you like to call it the church, are that these are ones who have been called out They have left, in the sense of Abraham, he left his country, he left his kindred, he was called out from his father's house, from his family. That's why it's so important to realize that we've been separated, we are separated unto God. And so it's a tragedy. When as one has said that he looked for the church and he found it in the world and he looked for the world and he found it in the church. Why is that a tragedy? Because the congregation, the assembly, or if you like, the church are made up of the called out ones. And that's the application to us today. Dad, today you said that many believe that the word Hebrew comes from the word Eber that we studied today. What application does the word Hebrew or Eber have for our listeners today? You know, it's very interesting because the word Eber means a crossing over. And that's what the, many believe that the word Hebrew means. It means one who crossed over. What they're referring to in the crossing over is the river Euphrates. So this is a person who has crossed over the the river Euphrates, and, and therefore many believe that, that this is what the word Hebrew means. It comes from the word Eber. But just thinking of that thought, the crossing over, that has a great application for us. Because when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we crossed over. We crossed over a line. We stepped over the line from death to life, from darkness to light from sadness to happiness, from a sense of purposelessness to a sense of purpose and fulfillment, from hell to heaven. There's this is great crossing over that takes place when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We take that step. It's a definite step. It's a step that we decide to take, and it's a step that we make. We make that step. You know, there's a great song that Fanny Crosby wrote. It's very rarely sung, but it's terrific because it it, it captures this concept of the crossing over. It goes like this only a step. To Jesus, then why not take it now? Come and thy sin confessing, to him thy Savior bow. Only a step, only a step. Come, he waits for thee. Come and thy sin confessing, thou shalt receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy he freely offers thee. Only a step to Jesus, believe and thou shalt live. Lovingly now, he's waiting and ready to forgive. Only a step to Jesus, a step from sin to grace. What has thy heart decided? The moments fly apace. Only a step to Jesus? Oh, why not come and say, gladly to thee, my Savior, I give myself to thee. See, the whole concept there of what the heart of Fanny Crosby was capturing here and expressing to us is that it's a step. It's only a step. It's a simple step because God has made it so easy for us that we only have to take a step to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come, and as we take that step, we confess, as she said, our sin. We come and we say, oh God, I need you with all of my heart, I need you, that was the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross had a great need in his heart, and it wasn't just to be delivered from that cross, but it was that he would be remembered. He knew that he was about to die, and if he didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, he would go into a land of forgetfulness. He would be forgotten most of Importantly, by God, as he would drift off into a horrible, lost eternity of darkness, and he didn't want that, so he said, "Lord, remember me when Thou comest into Thy kingdom." And he did. And when he did do that, he took over. He took the step. He crossed over the line. He said to his his uh, his compadre there, his other thief, when the other thief cast into into the teeth of the Lord Jesus Christ, so to speak. He said, oh, if you're the Savior, if you're God, then, then deliver yourself and us also from the cross. And then this one who had taken the step, he turned and he defended the Lord Jesus Christ. He defended his honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. He honored God when he said, don't you see, can't you see that we are suffering for what we deserve But this man has done nothing amiss. This man is sinless. And when he did that, he crossed over the line. He took his step. He took his step, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he came to and implored, he begged the Lord Jesus Christ to remember him when he came into his paradise. And then the Lord Jesus Christ turned to him and rewarded him and gave him the blessing by saying, today today, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why did that happen? How did that occur for the one thief and not the other thief? Because that one thief took his step. He crossed over the line. He crossed over the line where he despised the Lord Jesus Christ. And he crossed over it where he worshiped and honored the Lord Jesus Christ. He crossed over the line from his sin that he was confessing when he said, we suffer for our deeds. We receive the due reward of our deeds. He said, we do. What was he doing there? He was confessing his sin before everyone. That was the step that he was taking. That's the step that each one of us take. That's our Eber. That's our. That's where we each become a Hebrew, where we cross over the line, where we say, I'm no longer an agnostic. I'm not a, no longer an atheist. I now believe in God. And I don't just believe in God. I trust in God. I never trusted him before. I always said I was the master of my own destiny. But today, now, I'm putting my full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to To save me from my sins, to do what I can't do myself, that is to save me from my sins, to bring me reconciliation with God, to give me a home in heaven forever, to transport me into the very presence of God with full acceptance. I'm relying on the Lord Jesus Christ to do that, confessing him as my Savior, forsaking my sin, I am coming to the mercy that he freely offers. I am stepping over the line from where I was to where I want to be. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a Eber, I am a Hebrew. I am crossing over.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Now, today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. And we also have another website, israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. Both websites have access to our online bookstore of Tom Cantor's materials. Now, if you'd like to contact Tom Cantor, you can do so by sending him an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor.org. C-A-N-T-O-R Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org You can also write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330 That's P.O. Box 711-330 Santee, California 92071 Santee, California 92071 Or you can call us today at 1-800-247-3051 1-800-247-3051 Or you can also find us on Facebook at one 800 247 Find us on Facebook or go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us again next week at the same time.